Hello there, and welcome to Pop Shop Arsenal Women's Edition. I'm your host, Will. Listener, it's a very, very, very special episode. Firstly, it's December. There's snow in the air, there's frost on the ground, and football's cooled down for a couple of weeks during the international break. Bearing that in mind, we've decided to take the temperature on Arsenal's season so far with a special guest. But first of all, I am delighted to welcome, as always, Sebastian Hund. Seb, I know it's been a special week for you. You've been on the Arsecast with Tim Stillman. It feels a little bit like a blossoming young actor who's just starred in a starred in a multi-million dollar Hollywood blockbuster coming back to an independent theater with a capacity of like 50 to do some stage acting. How are you feeling? Starstruck once again with your intros, man. You're, you're, <laughs> you're knocking this out of the park, yeah. Kind of feels like um, there was a German actor who's quite big in Germany who was in the, in Oppenheimer. That must be how that feels when you're coming back from Oppenheimer to do German productions again, which... Quality-wise, just aren't quite up to par. That might be, oh, that might be just a bit too harsh on ourselves, but we'll go with it. Yeah, well, it's especially harsh today because we have a very special guest. One of my favorite women's football people, uh, it's Jesse Parker Humphreys. Jesse, welcome to Potshot. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, guys. I was saying before we started recording, I'm a big fan, so I'm honoured to be here. Well, we are we are honoured to have you. I mean, we haven't we haven't told you this ahead of recording, but this is going to be a bumper four hour episode, and it's all going to be about <laughs> it's all going to be about match attendance discourse. So I hope you're excited <laughs> oh, for that. God. I'm actually writing about match attendance <laughs> ahead of the Arsenal Chelsea game, so. I'm going to be setting that Twitter discourse on fire again, just in time. <laughs> yeah, I mean that is that is the hot topic at the moment. But um, we will we will try and talk about football. Uh, but before we get to football, it is time for everyone's favourite part of the podcast. It's time for the pot shot question. I will pose the question to both of you. I don't remember who I usually... Seb, do I usually have you go first? I think I did last week, didn't I? I think we've done quite well, random so far, I think. It's yes. Been, yeah. yeah, I think I've, I've ga- gaslit myself into thinking I have a system, but I actually don't. I just pick someone. Um, okay, so here is, here is the question. Uh, I'm going to paint you a, a picture here. A scientist whose genius is matched only by their desire to not adhere to ethical standards has created a machine. And this machine has the ability to kill every single species of bird on the planet except one. And you get to decide which species of bird survives. So you are picking a species of bird to save from extinction. And you get to explain why. Seb, that's a nice easy one. So uh, you get to go first. How do you come up with these, man? (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was going to be something topical, like what's your fucking Spotify rep or something. (laughs) (laughs) So let's go through this. I mean, the, the, the only positive thing this could 
do is just rid the streets of pigeons, which I'm, I'm not against. Um, which species would I save? I think, considering I'm an Eintracht Frankfurt fan by heart as my local team, I will save the eagle. So majestic creatures that can still fly around the Deutsche Bank Park on match days and just look amazing. Yeah, the eagles, I think eagles are, I mean, technically multiple species, but we'll allow it. Um, that's that's quite a good that's quite a good answer. Maybe one species is like overly specific as a as an answer. But um, yeah, Jesse, I'll come to you. What is the species or I don't know family or genus of birds that you're going to save? Yeah, I feel like you're after like the full Latin name, <laughs> which I'm not, not equipped to give, despite in my past doing a Latin GCSE. Um, uh, this is really tough. I think in terms of like the first thing that came to mind, I don't know if it's because it's like winter, it was like a robin, but I actually think I've ended up with this strange affinity for geese. So it will have to be geese. And this kind of came from my substack. It's called Flying Geese, which is from an Emma Hayes quote about how geese work together when they migrate. But as a result, I've just come to really enjoy the humble goose. So I'll I'll keep them. That is that is actually the answer I was expecting. Um, because your newsletter is called Wow, Flying my brand, geese. my geese brand is so strong. <laughs> yes, and that's that's actually why that's actually how I came up with the question. Because I was when I was making my notes earlier, I was like, oh, I'll leave a space here for Jesse to plug flying geese at the end, and then I don't know, I just it just went from there. What can I say? Uh, I just have a an active imagination that's almost like freaked me out a little bit in terms of feeling like you can you're like <laughs> controlling and predicting my answers <laughs> questions. yes i've actually got the whole podcast scripted out here like <laughs> down to the word you just don't know it um but yeah that's i was thinking about this myself actually um i don't always answer the pot shop question i kind of it depends if it's hard or not uh I don't know what my answer would be. There isn't like a single, there isn't like a single bird that I have, that I have like a particular affinity for. I was thinking maybe, maybe pelicans. Uh, there's no, there's no real reason. I just think as a, as like a species or I don't know, family, I feel like they've kind of underperformed till this point. So the way I see it, I'm kind of like, I'm buying the dip. And I think, <laughs> I think they'll give us something in the future. That's so. That's my answer. Buy pelican stocks is uh, is where we're looking here. Um, but yeah, moving on from moving on from that to talking about actual football. Since we last spoke, following the six-two win against Leicester, Arsenal travelled to Brighton. It took twelve minutes for the deadlock to be broken with Stina Blackstenius scoring the most Stina Blackstenius goal imaginable. A tense 40 minutes followed before Arsenal regained control of the game. Caitlin Ford and Frieda Malnum were able to extend Arsenal's lead in the 80th and 95th minutes, respectively, guiding them to an important three points. In midweek, Arsenal travelled to St. Mary's in the Conti Cup, where Amanda Illestet's 92nd minute goal got Arsenal over the line. And finally, a home game against West Ham capped off the fortnight, where goals from Frieda Malnum and a Beth Mead double in the first half made for a comfortable afternoon at Meadow Park. Important momentum has been gained as the clash against Chelsea looms large. 
there's our recap. So for the first part of this pod, we are going to talk about Arsenal, which is what we do in most of these. Um, but specifically, Jesse, we're going to ask you what you think about Arsenal so far this season and get a kind of like neutral-ish view on uh, on Arsenal's season so far. I guess just to start off, what are your kind of overriding thoughts on Arsenal's uh, season to date? Yeah, I think it's obviously been a mixed season. I generally feel like Arsenal are getting better, but maybe not as much better as the results have suggested. It's obviously a really strong run of wins. Um, and I think obviously, especially the City win was a huge boost, even if it came as a result of an error. Listen, like you, you take the points where they come. And I think that to be in a position where Arsenal are only three points behind Chelsea when they haven't been playing very well it actually all feels very Chelsea-coded this Arsenal season, which has been making me laugh. You have the embarrassing opening day win against a team you really should beat. You look a little bit wobbly, but then as time starts to go on, you find your feet a bit more and things start to click. And I think that's maybe sort of the nature of this season being like Jonas's first real season, which I find an annoying idea because it's not. <laughs> He's This is his third season. But we have to supposedly injury asterisk last season, which is fair enough. And, you know, lots of new players have come in and they're gradually being integrated. Players come back from injury, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I still find Arsenal quite susceptible in defence. I think that's been, even within these wins, it's been clear that teams continue to find good opportunities to score for even in the West Ham game, even though West Ham were pretty poor and Arsenal made it very comfortable, they still hit the post twice and there was a weird sort of goal mouth scramble from a corner as well. Um, and I think going forward against certain teams, they can look really good if things sort of like match up well. But I don't necessarily feel like right now, at least, Arsenal have the on-pitch problem-solving that allows them to deal with when maybe things aren't going their way. That's like my top-level opinion at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I d yeah, I think that's I think that's fairly reasonable and probably not too far off what most kind of reasonable Arsenal fans think. Um, I mean, something... You did speak about the results and it's kind of like... It feels like the performances have kind of gradually improved, whereas the results were like bad at the start of the season and now really good. And it's kind of like a, um, yeah, it's kind of like a much bigger shift there. Um, I guess, Seb, what's your what's your kind of take on on Jesse's take on Arsenal? Yeah, I'm completely in agreement with that. Um, I think the season as a whole has been completely. Um, it's been a tale of adaption to a big shift in personnel over the last summer. Um, new players coming into the team and forming relationships with existing players. Some players playing in roles that maybe aren't completely natural to them slash not really something they've done before. Um, so in that light, the improvement over the last few weeks has been sort of sensical in, in the sense that players have gotten more time together and gotten more equipped to play with one another while also having the asterisks of a 
more favorable schedule over the last few weeks than than maybe beforehand as well. Yeah. Yes. I um sorry, this isn't this isn't like a football thing, but one of the things I really enjoy about doing a podcast with someone who speaks German is that Germans just like put words together in ways that make sense. So you said sensical, which is like isn't a word, but also it's the complete opposite of nonsensical, so it should be a word. And it's just like every every single episode we just have like one or two words that you just kind of assume I catch myself words. doing that as well, yeah. Yes, because like they should be like in German they would be words. Uh, and it's just very funny. Um but yes, now back to back to the football. Um Yeah, I mean, it, it has been, um, as you both said, it has been a season of like gradual improvement. And obviously there's been a lot of change at Arsenal um, with injuries and with kind of squads turnover. Obviously, one of the biggest changes has been in the centre of defence where um, Rafaeli left and Leah Williamson obviously is injured. Um, and that was, I mean, Jesse, you spoke about Arsenal's defence kind of looking susceptible. I think most Arsenal fans would agree with that and while it has kind of improved it's been an area of concern certainly earlier in the season um do you have any kind of more specific thoughts on who's impressed or um who hasn't and kind of how well arsenal are are replacing that partnership of Rafaeli and williamson so far this season yeah i think i said this uh on another podcast at some point but i do feel like at the moment arsenal are maybe suffering from um teams feeling like they can score against arsenal because they see other teams doing it and i think that gives a lot of sides almost more confidence in terms of going forward and and taking chances and taking shots um i think that that almost makes you know arsenal's defense feel worse in some ways when actually sort of if you look at the underlying numbers there's nothing really between sort of Chelsea and Arsenal's defences as the best even though Man City's is technically the best in terms of goals conceded at the moment in the WSL I think Lotta's been really impressive um, I'm not someone who's been a massive Lotta Moy fan in the past but I think she's really stepped up this season I think having a proper run of games has really suited her for a long time I think it's felt that having to come in and out of the team isn't always something that's really suited her. Um, and I also think that sometimes you just see this with with centre-backs in particular, that they they need that little bit of extra time to get almost the mistakes out the system and, and have that kind of calmness. And I think she's been really impressive, I thought, especially against Bunny Shaw in the City game. Um, it, you know, we saw... Uh, the last weekend before the international break, like how devastating Bunny Shaw can be against a defense that isn't able to like physically deal with her and physically get tight to her. And I thought Lotta was really good there. I find Amanda Ilerstedt quite spooky at the moment, but this is the long term issue that Arsenal have faced from the ACL injuries, right? Like you have to get players in because Rafaeli left and Williamson isn't available and. I can see why Ilerstedt is the kind of player you go for, but I do think she's someone who teams will be looking at as, as a player who can be targeted. And I don't think it helps that in that sort of then right-back role, there's a lot of uncertainty over who exactly is playing there. I know McCabe's played there a lot. Maritz has sort of had minutes there as well, obviously with Wienreuter being out. Um, I don't love the Katie McCabe right-back thing. I know there's this sort of like, 
we have to get McCabe on the pitch no matter what. And Kate McCabe's the kind of player who I'm like, yeah, she probably can play anywhere you want her to play. But I think a couple of times you've seen her end up sort of dragged out of position in ways that I think make that right side very exposed. And because then there isn't a really like confident right-sided centre-back who's ready to deal with those issues. I think the Leicester game was a great example of where that was a really, really big problem for Arsenal early on. Again, then you, you go back to that that whole side of defence. You're like, well, you know, come March next year, you might have two different players playing there regularly in Wienreuter and Williamson. And that's one of those hard things that I think comes from the reality of Jonas building a squad and needing to have the time that comes with having players he totally trusts in those areas. I think that's still one of the big differences between Chelsea and Arsenal is that when Chelsea are faced with injuries, it feels like there are a lot more players just in and around the squad ready to fill in. I think Arsenal still feel like they've got a bit of um, a thinner squad in that sense, even if on a number sense that there's not really a, a difference in squad size. But I do wonder if settling on a right back would help Elishtet, or I don't know whether maybe Elishtet's level. I, d- I just don't think Elishtet's level will improve because I think her performances are like her, what her performances have always been. Like, it doesn't really surprise me having watched her at PSG. Um, but I, I don't know if the dropping and changing is particularly helping I, any of those players on that side of defence. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's um, it's interesting. And, and that kind of... Um, that conversation about Amanda Illestet is one we had before. And I think we did, I think after the Leicester game, we spoke specifically about that situation with kind of McCabe getting dragged out of position and then Illestet kind of regularly having to go out wide and looking like, looking very much like a centre-back who's being dragged out wide. Um, and it's, um, yeah, I mean, Seb, it's, uh, it's obviously something that we've spoken about regularly. And I know... When you were when you were on the when you were on the Ask Cast, uh, a quote of Jonas's that Tim has spoken about a few times recently was his: um, "If you want to go quickly, you go alone. But if you want to, I don't even remember the whole thing. It's better to go together." And he was talking about basically the importance of of trying to get the whole squad settled and gelled one of the things that we've spoken about regularly this season is that it's kind of defensively where it's looked like we're still gelling. Um, at this point in the season, I guess, how much do you think we've we've improved uh, defensively? Yeah, that's interesting because I think Illustrated especially has improved somewhat or at least settled herself down somewhat in the last few games after the Leicester game, um, which is makes sense considering... She's now getting prolonged minutes with a lot of women more. There's no system changes over the last few weeks. There's just been a sort of period of stability where they're able to learn their their respective games and sort of get to grips with one another. There's obviously still some aspects of her game that I'm not too fond of. Her channel defending especially is something I, I, I worry about somewhat. Um and it's just unfortunate because I'm not even sure that Illustad alone was the plan. But with Kodina coming back from the World Cup sort of rusty and having to pick up form and having to pick up minutes, the worst thing that could have happened was to get injured early on, which was what ended up happening. So 
she she's completely been out of the picture and with a defense now sort of settling in that will be interesting to see if and when she is going to make some sort of non-conti cup appearances and if the defense as a whole would look better the other aspect which uh which uh tim considered uh, on the oscars again was um sort of prepping woman moy for the long term in getting her to play left center back as uh, consistently and exclusively to sort of get her in that rhythm so when leah williamson comes back long term that that sort of relationship and the dynamics with each other in their respective parts of the field are more settled so that's the the main thing i'm going to look out for in the next few weeks is um if if codina is to come back in and how how that shapes out yes yeah it's definitely still um, a work in progress um i guess moving forwards to uh to midfield um for for so long, Arsenal's midfield has been Kim Little and Leah Velti, and you could just kind of bet the house on that being Arsenal's midfield uh, every single game. Obviously, this season that hasn't been the case. We've seen Victoria Pullover in midfield a lot more, um, and Arsenal also have the likes of Kyra Cooney-Cross and Katrina Kuhl, two very talented young midfielders um, available. We've seen Kyra Cooney-Cross getting more minutes. Uh, recently i guess um yeah jesse what do you, what do you make of that because it looks like maybe we're finally seeing that midfield partnership get um real competition i mean it it feels wrong to say competition because it feels like they didn't even need competition but just the quality of the options in in the squad are um are really shaping shaking things up there yeah, but I think you do need competition and I think that matters. And I think at the start of the season, it felt maybe a bit concerning that Little and Volti still felt so nailed on, albeit with different sort of configurations. I know, for example, like in the United game, you did have like Little playing further forward. So it's not like they were just sitting in their midfield double pivot, as it were. Um, but I think this is the area of the pitch that I think is most exciting for Arsenal right now because... In the past, it's felt like there's been so much pressure on Little and Volti to stay fit. And in periods of the season where they haven't, it's felt like devastating um, in terms of how Arsenal are able to deal with it. And I think it was really interesting that in the West Ham game, Cooney Cross and Pulova still started even with Little and Volti available off the bench. Um, I thought that was a really sensible decision from Jonas in, in a game where it, it felt... It's, it's one of the games across the season where you're like, okay, you can bring in players who maybe are still getting used to the pace of the WSL in terms of, of Cooney Cross. Um, I think both Pullover and Cooney Cross are like incredibly, incredibly talented players. They're, they're two of my absolute favourites in the league right now. Um, and I think both of them are going to be really exciting long-term options for Arsenal. Uh, I think it will be interesting to see how that sort of development does balance. Um, I do think there's a sense that both of those players still feel quite distinct from what Leah Volti does. And I wonder if in, like, it'll be interesting to see whether, whether that's something that Arsenal still feel like they want to address in the transfer market or whether Jonas is actually just more interested in having a bit more of a robust midfield where both players are sort of able to sit or go and that both of them are 
more willing. I definitely feel like Cooney Cross, like she's a great passer, but she also wants to like move with the ball in a way that I don't really see as being like so much part of Volti's skill set. And I think they work together as a midfield duo. It's just interesting to see whether that's the direction that actually Idaval's gonna um pursue. But yeah, I I think what has felt concerning in Idaval's like longer view reign of Arsenal is this sort of almost willingness to discard certain players and it's fine to say that I think sometimes managers don't like players especially when you're coming in but I think also at the same time to genuinely compete across four fronts in in the league uh it realistically you need to be willing and able to use your whole squad and I think the use of Cooney Cross and Pullova this season and obviously like Kathy Cool to a lesser extent I guess in Conti Cup games is a a good example of him actually beginning to do that, which was my big question mark at the start of the season in terms of it's fine to say when there was loads of injuries, he just had to play the players who's available, but it's a skill as to how a manager rotates a team. And is that actually going to happen? And I think we are starting to see that. And I think that's going to be something that's, that's really crucial because realistically like Volti and Little aren't going to play forever. So you need to have players who are ready to come in for them. And I think the, the raw ability of, of Cooney Cross and Pullover is, is very, very clear. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see sort of how they evolve within Arsenal's midfield. Yes. Yeah. And that, that's quite an interesting point you make um, about um, Ida Val's kind of squad management. Like we, we already touched on it, um, Seb, but it is, I think it's probably at the start of this season, it was one of the, the bigger question marks that we had about, Jonas Eideval was Arsenal's squad is a lot bigger and how's it how's it gonna how's it gonna shake out because we we didn't know I I mean I guess what are your what are your thoughts on that so far obviously since we last spoke we've seen um, Pullover kind of carry on her impressive performances and and Kyra Cooney cross as well especially with the West Ham game yeah I I I think the the question of Jonas rotating is an interesting one considering. I would be interested to see how his decisions differ if Little and Valti don't pick up the injuries a few weeks ago. If we would still see as much of Cooney Cross and just simply how he's involving these players from the start. Like, <clears throat> Pelova has had her time in the team already and has sort of integrated herself within the team. So she's an option, right? But with Cooney Cross, she came in out of the cold, didn't really get involved much in the early part of the season and then came in through injuries getting getting her some minutes there. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see in the coming weeks as to how the how Cooney Cross especially, but also Pelova are used. I find the I think when the transfer window ended and we had the midfield options sort of laid out to us, it did seem like a sort of generational shift in the making. And I think the position where that's sort of most apparent is uh, with uh, Victoria Pullova and Kim Little, considering Kim Little getting up there in age a bit and sort of picking up more injuries as the years have gone on, especially sort of end of last season, start of this season, as well as just exacerbated by Pullova's good run of form in a position where the position itself maximizes her individual qualities more than the positions she, she played beforehand. Um, so when we look forward, I think that's the spot that's sort of most likely to evolve in terms of Pilova sticking there. 
I still think the necessity of Leo Valti is too great for it to be a sort of full-time shift, especially considering there's still aspects of sort of spatial awareness and a sort of decision-making of when to jump forward and when to drop back in in the six role, as well as just transition defending and how spatial awareness in that in those situations that I'm still not really comfortable with Cooney Cross and her in possession game really suits her role, her out of possession game not as much. So I think with that we have a nice sort of horses for courses situation there where we have players of different profiles we can use in specific game scenarios. Same situation with the ten role with Marnum with Pilova at points and with uh, Midema. So those are the, the, the really good aspects there and um, interesting to see how that develops further. Yes, yes, that's right. Um, you mentioned uh, a horses for courses approach there. Um, and obviously tactical versatility is something we've spoken about um, in midfield and also in attack. And that's my segue to talking about the attack now. Um, Jesse, I, I, if I remember correctly, in the past, I think you've been uh, critical or at least kind of questioned the decision to, to drop um, or to move Viv deeper from playing as a nine to playing as a 10. Um, so I guess um, talking about kind of potential centre forwards, what, what your thoughts are on... Um, that trio of, of Viv, Leslie Russo, and uh, Stina Blackstenius, and and also, or especially the way that kind of Russo has played for Arsenal this season, where it feels like a lot of what she's doing is more kind of dropping and linking play rather than maybe the the box presence and you know goal scoring that people uh, were kind of imagining when she joined. Yeah, the the goal scoring that was imagined was always a strange one to me because I think Alessia Russo is a fantastic finisher, but that's different to being a prolific goal scorer, which I don't, I think she could potentially do it, but I don't think it's what she's best at. And I think that's okay, especially in terms of the finishes that Arsenal have like in and around her. I think, you know, especially now Beth Mead's fully fit. Both Caitlin Ford and Beth Mead are always players who I felt like are at their best when they get in the box and take shots. Like, even though they're, I see them as wide forwards as opposed to wingers, I guess would be the, you know, obvious way to to refer to it. So I think to that extent, um, Rousseau always made sense as a signing. Um, I will forever, I think, think that Viv is a better nine than she is a 10. I'm sorry. That is just, I just think she's one of, She's one of my like favorite strikers that I've ever watched. And I just don't think that in the 10 role, she offers anywhere near as much as she was able to as a nine. And, you know, I think it's obviously something Viv wants to do. She prefers playing in that position. And if that's the way everything's going to work out for everyone, that's the way everything's going to work out for it. But sometimes players aren't right. I don't think about those kind of things. Um, but I think right now the sort of setup of having... Russo start and then Stina come on as this kind of incredible hyperactive Labrador of a striker is is a great way for Arsenal to balance it out. I felt like uh, my my Viv is a better nine than ten kind of also came of the back of like Stina. I just don't think unfortunately is an elite striker in the way Viv Miedemar is. I mean, shock horror. There's like 
three or four of those as well in the world. But it felt like such a big shift for Arsenal. And especially before the ACL, it felt really strange because I was like, she's behind you. Like you could just bring her back. Um, but I think the the way things are set up now, it really works well for for Blackstenius, and I I kind of don't mind the like sort of like Brighton experiment of having Rousseau behind her. I thought that was interesting, um, and it's the kind of thing that I definitely think is worth trying out in those kind of games. Um, but I think the thing that I'm kind of most excited about in terms of Arsenal's attack would be the sort of Rousseau Beth Mead connection, and I think you saw it at points in that West Ham game, but. I just really like the way Rousseau is able to vacate space. And I think so far this season, we haven't really seen anyone be able to come and really then dominate in the box. And I think that's something that Beth Mead is very, very good at. And I think there were just moments in that West Ham game. I mean, the goal, I guess, is a great example. And even in the Brighton game, to be honest, where you started to see um, not even that relationship form, because they've obviously played together a lot for England, but that relationship, I guess, play out in an Arsenal setting. And I think it will change people's perceptions of Rousseau, I think, once Beth Mead's playing alongside her more regularly. That being said, I don't think it would hurt for Arsenal if they found ways for Rousseau to get more touches in the box. Um, I don't entirely know why that feels like it isn't happening right now. I think sometimes when you've got someone like Freedom Mornham in the number 10, she can just feel like such a battering ram. She's not someone who's then sort of going to try and get the move the ball further. It's like if she's got it around the edge of the area, like a shot's going to happen. And I think that's sometimes a bit of an issue there. I, I will be intrigued to see if like as Volti and Little maybe have full fitness, if we see more of, for example, Pullover playing in that 10 role, which I think would be like if I was building this Arsenal team, like that's where I'd want to see Pullover. I prefer her there than um, playing more as an A. <laughs> Seb's pulling a face. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I would prefer it. But I think it will be interesting to see how all of that develops. And I guess then the, the big question mark is what it looks like with Viv back there. And maybe my opinion on Viv as a 10 will change if she's playing with someone like Rousseau ahead of her because you know she is such a different player from Blackstenius. Um, but yeah, I think the key thing here for Arsenal is like there are options, and like that's just like last season was not the case, so it was very hard to have like a super interesting conversation about it because it was like here are the things in Arsenal's attack that clearly don't work, and here are the people who could do something. And then it's just like an empty bench with like Gio Kiros looking sad <laughs> at the end of it. Um, and I think obviously like now that it, it's exciting to be able to see like what relationships will form and like what changes can be made. Cause there clearly are issues still right now. Right. But I think that there are bodies there, which, which offer solutions. It was good to, it was good to get your thoughts on that. Um, Seb, why don't you just tell us why you why you pulled a face? That's just that's my question. Why well, I pulled a face? Um, I, I'm a big pullover guy. That's just my <laughs> the thing I'm in for. It's it's just her her specific qualities in that she can drive with the ball through midfield and sort of have her competitiveness deeper, as well as having more space to create sort of line-breaking passes from there is just something I want to see more of. And I think that role specifically maximizes her. She's on the right side of midfield, which 
is probably where she's best. And just having more space to operate in deeper is just beneficial to her, in my opinion, at least. Um, that, that That's just my two cents on pillow over there. Yeah, I mean, I um, I think I maybe agree. Um, <clears throat> that's my that's the closest I get to offering an opinion on this podcast. Um, actually, okay, I do. I'll tell you, I do have an opinion, and it's that um, I think. Hold up, the opinion is a thought, but it hasn't formed words yet. So I, I think um, the the really interesting thing with with Lessie is that is that she has this kind of spectrum of things she can do, right? Where she like she can drop and link play a lot, or she can be much more of a box presence. Um, and I think, Jesse, what you were saying about kind of like the attacks improve, but it still feels like there are things to work out. It feels like Arsenal have this kind of combination of like, uh, well, on the right, at least they can play more of like a wide forward or like a winger. And then like, depending on who they play at 10, you've got Frida or you've got someone like Viv, who's like, diametrically opposed to what Frida does on a pitch. And it feels like um, it feels like kind of for Arsenal's attack to really click, Lessie kind of has to find uh, I don't know why I think I'm on first name terms with her. But <laughs> on nickname Not just like terms first name least, terms, right? nickname. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just I've got this like headcanon of like me, Lessie like Lotta. TikTok girly era. <laughs> Yeah, but um, but but yeah, the, the idea that the the idea that um, Alessia Russo, kind of like from game to game, depending on who's around her, has to like find where on that like spectrum of playing like more as a ten or more as like a a nine, I guess, um, has to be. So uh, in my, I feel like a lot of a lot of Arsenal's potential to click will kind of come from her having that understanding of what to do kind of game to game and even like depending on who else is on the pitch. Um, yes, Jesse, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. And I think to that extent also like she's just joined. Like there's an extent where I'm like, these are players who she's got to build relationships with everyone. I mean, the only player she really would have played with is Beth and she's only just come back. And I think what is great about a player like Rousseau is there are and you've just kind of touched on it I guess well there are so many different things she can do like something that I was looking at the other week was how United are really basically struggling to play long now because Rousseau isn't there to to win balls higher up the pitch and she was like one of their best players at aerial jewels and it's like we'll talk about this thing of like oh you know she's someone who'll just like sort of drop and link up play but at the same time if you wanted her just to play as like a traditional number nine she 100% could go and do that and I think the key for Arsenal will be like settling on almost on who's around her and then being like okay so so what bit of the puzzle do we need her to do? And that's why she's so... There's not many players who are going to play at her technical level as well, who are going to... You're going to be able to, like, have her be the final puzzle piece as opposed to saying, okay, we've got... And this was a bit, I think, the problem with Steena last year, of, like, okay, we've got Steena and we have to play her as a nine. And this is the sort of more limited set of things she can do. How do we create those situations for her? Which I think, you know, a lot of that was sort of about 
counter-attacking thing. And that, that's not going to work necessarily for a possession-heavy team like Arsenal. Um, even even if they want to play them all, that's like just the reality is most of your games in the WSL, you're going to have more on the ball just on a technical quality level. Um, so I think in terms of like, like I just think in terms of Rousseau's quality, there's like no question it's there. It's just what is the exact configuration that is needed to like really unlock it? And I think the other thing that's crazy is like, I know lots of people just focus on the WSL and I know Arsenal maybe don't want to think about like the Champions League qualifiers, but she hella bailed Arsenal out almost yeah. in a game which which could have been done a lot earlier than it ended up being. And it's really strange to me that that, fi- that feels like it's been forgotten when like looking at her goals. Those games just don't now exist. At the end of November. Just, oh, yeah, well, I, understand. <laughs> I understand why people wipe them from them, their memory, but I personally didn't. So I'm here to say you can remember Alessia Russo's goals. <laughs> yeah, yes, for sure. I mean, thank you very much for reminding us of those, of those games. Um, I mean, it, it's funny because usually there's like, there's a point in the podcast where I kind of just say to Seb, would you like to talk about Alessia Russo for a few minutes? But Jesse has stolen that, uh, <laughs> stolen that, stolen that section in this podcast. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess on that, Seb, that idea of Arsenal just kind of uh, like, well, like with the other other areas of the pitch we've spoken about, just kind of continuing to gel and click i guess um looking back over the games in the last couple of weeks since we spoke do you feel like the attack has continued to obviously we've won and we've scored goals um so kind of the top level it feels like it's it's continued to improve uh, but what are your thoughts on that yeah what the what the last few games have shown is that the attack is a lot more malleable than it was last season right like the the basis of which the goals have been scored in the last three games is entirely opposition dependent and sort of catered to the opposition. If you look at the Leicester game, the adaption in the second half to get behind Leicester's high press. Uh, if you look at the West Ham game, where we continuously played switches towards their right side to sort of get at their uh, right side of the fence, there's a lot more malleability in how how the attack is configured and how it creates chances, which is a positive thing to have. Uh, and Jesse makes a great point in that um, I think the biggest point of improvement that Stina, uh, not Stina, that Alessio Russo can have is a sort of stable group of players to work with. I think that will come with Beth Mead sort of starting more games now and Caitlin Ford is a lock in that position as well. So those areas won't really change even though the sort of way they play might change a bit which is a positive thing um and then the big prospect is still with Miedema returning and I, I still imagine that dovetailing is probably going to maximize both of their games because you're going to have that uh associative quality that you lose if you have Freedom on him in the 10, which then has to be compensated by Russo dropping deeper, as well as having, when Russo does drop deeper, just to get more involved into the game, the best possible person to backfill into the nine position and sort of get in there. So that's still my biggest prospect in the next few weeks as well. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot to be hopeful for. There was, um, when you when you spoke about, Beth Mead starting more. There was just a, 
a little a little part of me that was sad that we will hear less of the Lacasse chant because of that. But uh, it's an acceptable part starters and finishers. She, I still think she has a big role to play this season, coming off the bench, as does Dina. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Lacasse for sure is uh, very much fits Jonas's kind of finisher um, model of a player. Um, I guess speaking about Jonas as well, um, obviously, Jesse, we're aware that Jonas is a very popular figure amongst Chelsea fans. Um, <laughs> um, his his contract was extended this season. Um, the extension itself, not necessarily a surprise, but maybe kind of how early in the season it happened um, I guess what what are your thoughts on the on the Jonas project as a whole to to date? Hmm. Um, I think it's is an interesting project. As I say, I find it strange that we're in like the third season of someone's management, and it still feels like there's so many asterisks over it. But I do think this season has felt a lot more interesting than some of the elements of like the previous two seasons, which I found rather like basic at points in terms of just being like, feeling like I watched Arsenal do very similar things every week. And then it would kind of depend how well they did. Um, And I think clearly having a squad that's more filled with its players seems to be suiting him. I think there's this in the Emma Hayes departure feels like it makes all of this stuff like, 10 times more interesting um, because now I think it makes total sense for Arsenal not to make any rash changes just in terms of the fact of going into a season next year with our Emma Hayes at Chelsea like like continuity is going to be on its own I think a massive massive bonus um, in terms of like the biggest challenge is not having that for the first time in 12 years. So um, I think this season's like going to be really interesting though. And I mean, I know we're going to get onto the game on the 10th in a, in a minute, but for all that I think Arsenal have improved, the reality is still they're not in the Champions League. And if they lose that game, they will be six points behind Chelsea in December. So it's going to be very interesting and I do think that's why the Hayes thing feels like almost like a bit of a get out of jail free free card for Jonas it feels like we'll be able to say in his fourth season now this is really his first season at Arsenal and personally I find that like a bit strange but at the same time like listen Emma Hayes is leaving Chelsea I'm like looking around the managerial pool it's not like the world is full of like incredible women's football coaches who you think like yeah they're gonna come in and like nailed on do a great job so I think to that extent as well like why not give someone more time because it's not like there's someone who's like banging on the door in a way that's like a really compelling alternative there we go um I think this is a good time to take a break. So, listener, um, enjoy this sweet, jazzy jingle. And we are back. Listener, I hope you enjoyed that refreshing break. Um, 
So on to the Chelsea game. Uh, I guess first things first, Jesse, I will come to you um, and ask about Chelsea. Um, yeah, I mean, how's how's the season so far been? What are the what are the vibes been like? Anything interesting we should know? I feel like I'm asking for the latest kind of gossip. <laughs> Uh, the vibes have been strange, I guess, because of Hayes announcing that she's leaving. I think it's put a bit of a dampener on what was like a very impressive start to the season. Um, I think given that Chelsea normally have quite slow starts, I've been pretty impressed with how well put together they already look, to be honest. Um, they're playing at the moment this sort of like, quasi back three back four which is very very attacking and that's kind of blowing teams away even if there are elements sort of the midfield and the defense which particularly now Millie Bright is potentially a long-term absentee look quite shaky uh I think what's really going for Chelsea at the moment is a feeling of that there are a number of players who feel like they're in very, very good form. So Neve Charles, Lauren James, um, Johanna Ritten-Canarids, and then Aggie Beaver-Jones, I guess, to a lesser extent as well. But all four of those are players who I think have really stepped up their level. And I think that their level is sort of relative to where they were before. So I think Lauren James, for example, right now looks like she's one of the best players in the WSL. And someone like Johanna Ritten-Kallerin has gone from being someone who you weren't really sure why she was at Chelsea to being a very possible left winger, uh, right winger slash right wing back for Chelsea. So I think it's going to be really interesting because the reality is that it's not necessarily a surprise that Chelsea can sort of sit through these first 10 games of the season that they've had so far and go unbeaten, um, other than the fact that normally they lose the first game of the year. But, you know, in terms of who they've played, it feels like pretty standard because the City game has a massive asterisk given that there were two sendings offs in it and they could still only actually get a draw. Um, but generally, I think they've looked they've looked much better than I thought they would and they've not been as affected by the Hayes news as I thought they would. The reality i think of all of that we will probably have to wait until march more to see um but right now it feels like chelsea are sort of ready to like just sort of chug along on their attacking train this won't be particularly interesting to the listeners but it is interesting to me you mentioned aggie beaver jones there who i know uh i know some everton fans were quite impressed with her last season i was just wondering um I have no like knowledge of how much she's played or how she's done. So I was just wondering if you could tell me specifically, listener, you don't have to pay attention to this, but if you could tell me specifically how she's done. Yeah, I mean, she's become only, I think, the fourth ever Chelsea women's player to score in five consecutive appearances. So she's had a pretty good start to sort of senior life and it's taken everyone by surprise. I don't know how like important she is to like the grander scheme of Chelsea things, but it's been a really fun element of the season. Um, Chelsea aren't a team who've had youth products really come in into the squad um in recent years they've very much been a buying team and I know they like to sort of have Lauren James as like uh one of our own thing and to a certain extent that's true like the James family are obviously very Chelsea but she left the club as like an under 13 player so you can't really take credit for developing her whereas Aggie Beaver Jones we very much can 
Um, she's sort of been coming on in the super sub role. The only start she's made was in the Liverpool game, which she scored in as well. She's had the benefit of coming on in these games, I guess, when sort of teams have been, you know, faltering, having played Chelsea for sort of 70, 80 minutes. But other players have come on in those situations and, and not scored. She's come on on the left, the right as the nine. She's a very versatile player, but I think everyone is surprised by how much she seems to have taken to being in the senior squad. Uh, when she, when it was sort of revealed she wasn't going out on loan again, I was like, Oof, this is someone who you, you worry is going to play sort of 200 minutes across the season. Um, so I think everyone is a bit like shocked by how good she looks. And I think what's exciting from a Chelsea perspective is like, her finishing just feels very well-rounded. Like the types of goals she's scoring are really impressive. Um, she's sort of like done the tapping. She's sort of like done the running into the box and scoring headers. She's been on the edge of the box and curled things into the far corner. So she's a really exciting player. Um, and it's going to be interesting because, you know, Chelsea have invested a lot in youth and young players. And there are a lot of players coming out of that academy. And we know that on the men's side, that's something that obviously the ownership are incredibly interested in. I actually think in the women's game, it's a much better, it's a much more sensible area to push in because I think there's a lot more value to be got. And I think, you know, Cobham is clearly like one of the best academies in the country. And at the same time, there are plenty of players in sort of uh, countries across Europe, which Chelsea are sort of swooping in on signing as sort of 18, 19 year olds. I think in understanding that the market for players is going to change very quickly. Um, You know, obviously we still live in a world where lots of players don't have a transfer fee attached to them. That's not going to stick around for much longer. Um, But it's exciting to see that that's apparently not just about farming players, which was kind of my thought, but actually about genuinely giving them minutes. And yeah, it's a very exciting player. Uh, I I just wanted to ask a question to Jesse, Um, just to quickly and sorry to go back to the Emma Hayes thing. Um, But I found it interesting that you mentioned feeling the after effects of Hayes leaving in March. And my question would be if the big impact of the Hayes departure is more in like how this season is going to progress or if the actual sort of impact of it on Chelsea specifically would be more felt in in May when there's, I imagine at least there would be some sort of referendum within the players as to how they see Chelsea post Hayes and, if they want to be a part of Chelsea post Hayes and if, if that perhaps is the more sort of striking example of where that departure sort of has an impact. Yeah, I think it's obviously something that understandably fans are concerned about. You know, we were talking earlier on about how important Jonas was to certain players renewing and there are big players, Chelsea, Sam Kerr, Frank Kirby, who are, you know, going to be out of contract at the end of this season. I think, the bigger picture element is that at the end of the day, Chelsea's still going to be like a very attractive club for players to either join or stay at because they've got a lot of facilities. They are, they have won a lot of things in recent years and they pay very well. Um, But I think what will be interesting is to what extent Chelsea feel like they need to take the speed of the recruitment process in terms of having things in place to maybe have those conversations with players. This is also why I think some of the 
young player element is more interesting. You know, like the players we're, we're talking about potentially leaving would be massive blows if they, they went. And they're in very different situations. You know, like Fran Kirby's been at Chelsea since she was like 22 years old, whereas Sam Kerr's in her fourth season there. And But both of them are also 30. Um, I think both of them are still fantastic players and useful to have around the club. But actually, when you're really considering the future of Chelsea, you still probably are looking more at players like, Lauren James, Aaron Cuthbert, Jess Carter, Neve Child, all of, all of these players who are more sort of, I guess, in the sort of 21 to 25 age category. And like, it will be interesting to see whether any of those feel differently about it. You know, like LJ came out and said like she really struggled with with getting the news. Um, but then there are other like longer term, younger signings as well, like Shukanuskan, uh, obviously like came in on a, a three year deal. Kat Macario, who hasn't even been seen yet again. Um, very, very young. Like, so I don't think Chelsea are sort of short on talent that's going to be happy to exist without Hayes because these are all players who've come in and I'm sure they're surprised. Like the, the person I think must be like, really like, what the fuck is like Ashley Lawrence, where you're like this older player, you've been, you've like been at this club PSG for years and years and years and you make this like quite big, exciting move, presumably partly because you want to play under Emma Hayes. And then you're like, huh? That like what I'm gonna get like a season and like players like Kat Macario might barely ever play at Chelsea under Hayes, but she's gonna get her at the U.S. national team, so she's like whatever. Like I win either way. Um, but yeah, it will be it will be interesting to see. Like I think any kind of any kind of manager of Hayes' stature leaving is gonna have a long term ripple effect. The realities of which we probably won't understand until sort of years later. The thing that I will find interesting is. Emma Hayes is someone who likes to have her fingers in pies. And I do wonder sort of like what her interest in Chelsea might end up continue being in, you know, this isn't someone like players are never going to be able to speak to again. Like if LJ's like feeling shit and worried about her football, like she's going to be able to phone Hayes up. And I think that will also be something that's really interesting to like think about moving forward. Hearing Nuskin's name still pains me. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I saw that little that little grimace from you. Yeah. <laughs> Just one more question in in a similar vein, which is also interesting considering how big of a sort of sage Hayes has in Chelsea. Um, my, my, I was wondering how was there a sort of tangible impact on the ownership change to how the women's side is run, considering a lot of the sort of development of the women's team was under the Abramovich reign, I was just wondering if if that sort of institutional change has been felt in any way. Yeah, I mean, the Abramovich reign was very much like, have a check, but like, do what you want. So I don't, and as as far as I'm aware, like the Bodhi reign has been very much a similar kind of approach, but obviously from a different perspective, e.g. you clearly have, the best women's program in England, you know, one of the best in Europe. So like, why would we necessarily touch it? And I think the thing that's maybe being underrated about Hayes leaving, which whilst is like very important and uh, uh, something that will change Chelsea in many ways, the general manager, Paul Green, is staying. And I think it's unclear from an external perspective how much of what happens at Chelsea in the off-field element is green as opposed to Hayes because he's been there for almost the exact same amount of time. And for a long time, Chelsea have 
ditched Hayes in their contract renewal signing photos. It's always it's with past couple of years it's been green. Um, which I think is why for a while I was like, Hayes must be going soon because you don't sort of make that kind of decision if you're like really confident this person's sticking around. Um, but yeah, again, it will be interesting to see how much that might change without Hayes being there. My guess would be the fact that Green is staying means maybe not so much. But if there's one thing we know about Todd Bowley at this point is that is a man who really thinks he knows about a lot of things he doesn't necessarily <laughs> know about. So I certainly wouldn't rule out. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's kind of stating the obvious, but it will be so interesting to see what happens post Hayes. Yeah, we spoke at the start of the season about the contracts of, um, of Jonas Eideval, as well as Gareth Taylor and Mark Skinner. Um, and I, I think we probably didn't expect to be talking about Emma Hayes being a manager leaving. Um not that not that the two of us are particularly knowledgeable when it comes to the contractual situation of Chelsea managers, um, but yeah, I mean, how how much does this feel like a I don't know, like a just like a kind of monumental shift in in the in the landscape of the WSL from from like a non Chelsea fan point of view? It, it felt so big that when the news came up on my Twitter account, I had to like quadruple check it to make sure that it wasn't just some <laughs> some dud coming in here um it, it's a watershed moment for sure um if if you have someone who is so institutionally involved that adaption process will take some time and i i certainly can't remember the last time chelsea felt like you could get at them in terms of both spending power in terms of the quality of their squad but also in terms of just the stability they have within their structure. So having a season where that sort of changes somewhat, it it feels huge, even sort of nine months removed from it. Um it, it feels quite similar to the when COVID first hit in the men's Bundesliga, there was a point where there was a lot of institutional disarray in a lot of clubs, considering German clubs are a lot more sort of bounded by finan- by their own financials rather than having sort of states behind them and rich businessmen behind them. And that sort of disarray led to clubs that have stability gaining more power. It was the time when Freiburg, who were under Christian Streich for ages, went up the table, similar with Union Berlin under Urs Fischer, who has been there for a lot of years. And I do expect something similar there in terms of that Stability will be a key factor of next season. And that's a big reason why I feel comfortable with extending Jonas on top of the good work he's done so far is that having that stability and gaining that stability this season and having players he wants around and that fit his system, getting gelling together to, to attack a next season when one or two other managers might also not be there anymore. Like the, the Gareth Taylor and uh, Mark Skinner contracts still aren't resolved and there there could yet still be more change to come. So from an Arsenal perspective, it's the most confident I've felt coming into a season in in ages, even again, with it being three quarters of a year from now. (laughs) It does have this funny energy as well, though, where I feel like 
Man City, United and Arsenal fans have to an extent already written off this season because everyone's so like, well, next season, this will be our time. <laughs> like, guys, we, we've got to play quite a lot of this one still. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess that's like, that's kind of the thing with, like the announcement has come so early in the season that like we still have the season to, to go. It's not It's not like when an announcement comes with like a month left of the season. Um, and yeah, that's it. It is. It is. It is strange. I can't. Just, um, rem- I can't really remember a precedent of that happening before. Of it being announced so early on in a season, like across the gender divide, the latest something like this announced is like January. The is the earliest I can remember. Okay, Jesse. Um, so you spoke about the the system that Chelsea have been playing this season with the kind of um, back three slash back four thing. Um, I guess how how are you expecting how are you expecting Chelsea to line up for this game? I mean, it's hard to say to be honest. One because it's always hard with Hayes to know sort of who's available and who's not. The latest in the saga being that obviously Chelsea have pulled Sam Kerr out of the Australian international break. She's not gone to Canada because she has a foot injury. This could either be nothing or a season-ending injury, and at this point, it's impossible to say either way. My hunch will be it's nothing and that Kerr probably will be available to start. So I imagine it will be her. Um, I think we'll see Lauren James off the left still, which has sort of been what's helped her look a lot better, I think. Um, And it's going to be fascinating what happens. Guru Wrighton's been out injured. Supposedly, she's back at some point after the international break. So that's going to be a really interesting thing to see uh, how Chelsea deal with that. And then probably Johanna Rittin-Canarid, who's been this sort of, yeah, like right winger, right wing back. Neve Charles will be left back. Um, and then it all gets a bit more vague, uh, basically. Those are sort of the players who've been nailed on. Um, Chelsea have been tending to either play a midfield, which has like Sophie Ingle sitting with two more enthusiastic midfielders ahead of her or having two enthusiastic midfielders sitting with someone more like Frank Kirby ahead of them. So basically it's like two people who can run and one person who might not run as much. And it depends whether they're playing close to defense or attack. Uh, Millie Bright being injured has been like a big issue. I think that's probably the biggest issue Chelsea have right now. Uh, And we've seen Jess Carter. She's the only Chelsea player who's played every minute of the season so far. uh, Pair up either with Maren Mielder or Kadisha Buchanan. I think against Arsenal we'll get Mielder. And then... The sort of right-sided centre-back has been Eve Perisay or Ashley Lawrence. And I've got no idea who'll start on that one. And then we're still doing goalkeeper roulette. So it'll be Anne Katrenberger or Zachira Musevich. And Zachira Musevich had, until her game against the USA at the World Cup, maybe her best game as a Chelsea player, at least, at the Emirates last season. So maybe she'll get the nod. Mm, I don't that's know. That's true. How, um, how uh, coming back to you, Jesse, how confident are you... Uh, going into this game? Uh, I never feel confident going into games against Arsenal. Um, I think Chelsea... I think Chelsea are due a good performance at the Emirates, is what I will say. And I think that would be interesting because I don't think Arsenal have been that impressive at the Emirates, aside from maybe the Bayern Munich quarterfinal game. I think that's the only game I've been to where I've been like, okay, like, they look like they want to play here. I don't count Tottenham games in this because Tottenham tax. Um, so 
But at the same time, I think Chelsea, every time they've been there, have looked overawed. Uh, there was obviously the 3-2 uh, in Jonas's sort of first WSL game, uh, where I think even though Arsenal sort of benefited from favourable offside decisions, I think they were still broadly the better team. Um, similarly, I think in the 1-1, I think Arsenal were the better team. Um but also in those in both in both of those results, you see the sort of strange reality of Arsenal Chelsea is that Chelsea tend to find a way to have something, even if they don't necessarily get everything. And the Conti Cup final is probably the one example, sort of in the past three or four years, where that hasn't been the case. And Arsenal have totally dominated a game, and and the results kind of reflected that. I mean. Even even then, Chelsea still opened the scoring. But, you know, I think broadly that was result and game plan and performance all, all wrapped up for Arsenal. So I think it coming straight after the international break also puts just a big question mark on both teams. Um, who's sort of like ready to come back into it? Whose players have come back best? The, all of that stuff, which is annoying when you get games like this straight after the international break, because it just kind of takes like the real sh- like I think if we'd had this like on this like most recent weekend I think it would have been really exciting to have both teams like coming in like having played a lot of games and really feeling like they're in their rhythm and I think to lose that always feels a bit frustrating but from my perspective I think the pressure's on Arsenal what's weird is I don't necessarily get the sense of that from Arsenal or Arsenal fans but to me I'm like I kind of feel like Chelsea could lose this game and still be like, okay. Um, whereas I think Arsenal kind of like, they they don't need a win, but they need not to lose. Yeah, I mean, I guess, Seb, I'll, I'll ask for your thoughts on kind of whether, how confident you are and kind of whether you have, whether you have a feeling that there's pressure, there's more pressure on us. I definitely think there's more pressure on us. Um the, the season start uh, the start of the season basically insinuates that most games if not all games are must win slash must not lose um so there's definitely more more pressure on us to to perform um I have sort of two big questions when coming into this game um sort of going hand in hand with one another um I'll be interested to see whether Jonas sticks with the back four as he did against City, which is sort of instructive as a, a game against a big team where he did opt for the four instead of the five. Um, but also there's sort of tactical sense to be made out of playing the back five against Chelsea, who do like to play with five in in, in attack and sort of match up numerically there. Um, and the other is whether uh, Katie McCabe will play right back because the idea of Katie playing right back and having isolated situations against Lauren James with Illestad behind her sort of scares the bejesus out of me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are, like you, like you said, at the start of the season, um, from an Arsenal point of view, it was quite like uncertain how often we were going to play the back three, how often we were going to play the back four. Um, and it's interesting because I think in our in our last episode, Max pointed out that like we've been playing solely a back four uh, and I'd completely forgotten that a back three was even like a talking point because I got so used to the fact that now we're playing a back four. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, obviously games against Chelsea are maybe the ones where you would expect a return to a back three more than any other. With Arsenal, obviously we spoke about 
different combinations, either in midfield or in attack. Of all the different tools in the toolbox, which ones do you think uh, Jonas will be using in this game? Um, I think the attack sort of picks itself. I think Russo players, I think Beth Mead players, I think Caitlin Ford players. I think that much is clear. Um, midfield then depends on whether we do play with three or four. Um, I'm just going to assume we're going to go 4-2-3-1. And in that case, I'm pretty certain Lealty comes back into the team. Seniority, her ability with the ball and in getting out of pressure situations, as well as her sort of spatial awareness, necessitates her being there, I think. Um, though I do think Kim will probably not start, and I think Polova keeps her place. I think that's the big call he's going to make in this one, if that even is a big call after after Pilova's last few games. Um, and in the 10, considering this will be one of those games where Arsenal are more likely to uh, be happy to go direct, uh, Freedom Arnhem is a shoe in that 10. Nice. And defensively, I guess, what are you, what are you expecting if we go with the four? Christ. <laughs> Praying is basically what I'm hoping for. Um, no, uh, I would imagine Noel Moritz playing simply because I, I don't like the prospect of having Katie in, in ISO situations against Lauren James and, 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 and company. Um, I think Illestad and Wobben Moy will continue their centre-back pairing. Um, and I think Steph Catley will still be at right back uh, at left back sorry and that also opens up the possibility of even switching in game to a back three if if Jonas wants to and to have a rest of left center back yes yeah um cool okay well that is all the time we have for this episode um before we go jesse is there anything you would like to plug uh you can find me on twitter at jesse jph my substack is Flying Geese, as already mentioned. Dot football is my alternative uh, ending to the website, so I can post links on Twitter. Nice. Um, you can find Jesse's Twitter in the show notes, um, as well as mine and Seb's. Seb, thank you, as always, for joining me. Thank you. Please rate and review us on your podcast provider of choice. The music for this episode was composed by James Blake, who you can find on Spotify at JW Blake. And listener, thank you very much for listening. Go well. <laughs>